0: Welcome back to Bible Time. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. (coughs) You might be wondering if you've been following why we haven't had it as much this week, and I'll give you the answer when I give you the text and the title. Our text that we're looking at is 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. And there's your answer. And we're preaching today on satanic hindrance. Satanic hindrance. Father in Jesus name help us right now. Help us to be obedient to us. Empower us Lord. Lord the devil's trying to win this war. He's trying to discourage and cause doubt and fear and temptation and sin and distress and discouragement. Father God he's trying to um, stop your work from going forward and we, we resist him in Jesus name. We plead the blood of Christ and we ask you Lord God to beat back the enemy in Jesus name and for Christ's sake and help your word to go forward in jesus name amen now we are preparing to take a tent up to dixon missouri and we'll be up in that area with the tent next week so the um uploads we'll just have to see uh, if if we're able to get enough data to get the uploads up um, during the week or if it will have to wait till next week But I hope that if you're listening online and you've been blessed by this that you would commit to pray for us For this reason right here that satan's hindrances would be removed and that we would have free course that the gospel would have free course um, Here in first thessalonians two eighteen, paul is speaking to a church born in trouble. How many of you have heard that before? A church born in trouble A church that was birthed out of three Sabbath days of reasoning in the synagogue and an angry mob running off the main preacher and leaving a bunch of pagans who just converted to Christianity to fend for themselves. And out of that great trouble and that great difficulty and that great satanic hindrance that we're going to look at today, God yet prevailed against the enemy as he always does so go to ephesians 6 12 here it says in ephesians 6 12 we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places each of these things deserves a careful study the whole text does here he's exhorting paul here exhorting the church at ephesus to put on the whole armor of god saying you've got a battle on your hands You've got a war that you are fighting. This ain't no stroll through the park. This isn't just an easy field trip day if you're serving jesus christ now if you're um, if you're one of these. Quasi-Christians, one of these cultural Christians who just kind of gets the Christian name badge or the Christian bumper sticker or t-shirt, Christian club membership down at your local um, church clubhouse, and then you want to go on and live like the world and enjoy the world's movies and the world's music and the world's dress and everything else that the world does and the world's talk and the world's events and the world's entertainment, and you're just going to live it up and enjoy as much of this world as you can suck in the rest of your life, then first of all, you're probably not even saved. Secondly, if that is your condition and you are saved, um, the devil's probably gonna leave you alone. He wants you to stay in that condition. But if you're saved, God's not gonna leave you alone. God's gonna bring situations into your life to knock you out of your comfort zone, to push you into areas of discomfort until you either yield to God or rebel against him fully enough that he can chasten you and you'll know why he's chastening you because God is a loving father and he will not leave his children to do whatever they want. So if you're one of these fly by, um, fly by the seat of your pants Christians who doesn't study his Bible, doesn't read his Bible, doesn't care about God's word and God's work and God's, um, God's ways, and you're just going to live it your way, then you're the devil's probably leaving you alone. But if, on the other hand, you want to serve God, get ready for the battle. Paul says, get your armor on. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. Now, if we were wrestling Wrestling with flesh and blood we may go for an ak-47 or a rocket propelled grenade or a bazooka or a tank or an aircraft carrier or a laser satellite that can zap people from outer space or something like that and we might be trying to do that but we're not and we're not trying to do that because we wrestle not against flesh and blood and bullets don't kill devils how many of you know that already Bullets can't kill devils. You might be able to shoot a guy that's got a devil, but the devil's going to go somewhere else and you might be the next one. And this is why in a lot of um, pl- aboriginal places, a lot of third world nations, or actually third world is a term used to describe communist nations, but the to use undeveloped, completely undeveloped um, pagan countries where they live in mud huts and et cetera, like the aborigines in Australia did whenever they were discovered, and they have no education system and no real government structure other than basic tribes, and they're fighting one another for survival, and kind of thing in those kinds of situations In a lot of those cultures, they have um, all these animals running around that are an extreme problem, and they won't do anything to control the animals because they're afraid if they kill the animal, the devil will get out on jump on somebody else. Any, in any case, if you wrestled with flesh and blood, if the devil was flesh and blood, there would be a gun somewhere big enough to take him down, wouldn't there? wouldn't there? And if Satan was in the way and he was flesh and blood, you could get a bulldozer or something and somewhere you'd be able to make a machine big enough, a bulldozer big enough, something that could move him out of the way. If he was throwing up roadblocks that were literal roadblocks, then you could get out a shovel and a pickaxe and go to work. And while there is work in the gospel, which was our last message, the labor of the gospel, there's also a battle that happens behind the gospel, a battle that happens to stop the gospel, to hinder the gospel. The word hinder means to um, to stop it, to slow it down. I obviously didn't look it up in the dictionary before, <coughs> before this lesson. But the word hinder means to slow down and to stop and to halt the progress. And so we're going to look at a time in the Old Testament when this happened. Um, before we go there, he, um, let's look a little closer to Ephesians 6, 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places and the armor that's given for that is the having the loins girt about with truth having on the breastplate of righteousness your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And I would recommend here, if you've never heard it, to listen to Otto Koning's um, message, The Snake Story. You can probably find it online and look it up. He goes on and he explains this um, and he also uses 2 Corinthians 10 for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds to speak of the weapons of our warfare and some very useful information that he has in there and some um, what powerful il- powerful illustrations from the mission field where he served. But the weapons of our warfare here in 2 Corinthians 10 4, are not carnal. That means they are not fleshly. It's not a sword. It's not an AK-47. It's not a German Luger. It's not um, a roadside bomb. It's not an intercontinental ballistic missile. It's none of the above. The weapons of our warfare as Christians are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They cannot actually touch a person's flesh, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. These weapons that God gives us cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, your thoughts are powerful. Your thoughts will determine your actions. If you allow your mind to dwell on wickedness, you will do wickedness. If you think about godly things and about the word of God, it will draw you to God, your thoughts are very powerful. The Bible says there in the in Genesis that whenever all the people had one language, that they were set to where now they would do anything that they imagined to do, and that they would be unrestricted in their achievements because they were able to communicate together and work together, and that everything that they were able to think of, they were going to be able to accomplish. And so God purposefully retarded the advancement of technology by scrambling the languages at the Tower of Babel, and that is a literal event that actually happened, and that's why we have all the different languages that we have today. But God said the thoughts of man who have now eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he condemned them in Genesis 6 that the imaginations of his heart were only evil continually, and then he said that these men would be able to do anything that they imagined to do. Now, if the thoughts of man are only evil continually, and they do whatever they imagine to do, what's the end result going to be? B only evil continually now your secular humanists out here would think that god just stifled a utopian society but what god did was mercifully spared the human race from a total self-destruction under the influence of extreme evil and we'll be able when we get to second thessalonians we'll look at some of that that's coming whenever the world is unified and able to speak to one another we're nearly there as it was in the days of noah so shall it be in the coming of the son of man And when the world's able to speak together again uh, without the need of interpreters, uh, physical interpreters, and everyone can communicate, we're going to find that every imagination of man's heart will become possible, but that every imagination is only evil continually. Name to me one modern invention that has not been used for evil. Name one. If you can figure it out, help yourself. I can't think of a single one. Every single invention that man has made has been used for evil and for for evil continually. Now the exception being those who have been born again have been using those inventions in order to get the gospel out and God, of course, is the one behind that having subdued the evil imagination of those people. So here the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations. Remember in Genesis 6 every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. The weapons of our warfare as Christians Christians cast down imaginations. They throw down the evil that is in the hearts, these weapons of our warfare, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. And if you don't think a shield is a weapon, then I'll take a shield and let's have a fight. I'm joking, I don't want to fight you, but I'd show you pretty quick, a a shield can hurt pretty bad. Anyway, uh, that being said, you've got a shield of faith, you have a sword of a spirit. I know this is kind of a mess today, but the devil has been hindering us. The devil has been attacking, and we are responding by trying to preach the word of God, and that's what we're going to get to by the time we see the end of this thing. So bear with us, and if it helps you, that's great, and if it doesn't, it'll help us. So he says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of faith. You should be there in 2 Corinthians 10, 6 now, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So these weapons of our warfare are what equips us to do revenge against the kingdom of Satan. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force now the kingdom of heaven he said is within you he said it's a spiritual kingdom and he was saying that this spiritual kingdom was suffering violence and the violent take it by force he was not speaking of taking of converting people at the point of a sword which is a pagan practice which is practiced by catholics who call themselves christians and muslims and other people um, of various so-called faiths across the world But the Christian faith has a warfare to fight. The warfare is not with your neighbors. It's not with the people down the street. The warfare is with the devil. And the devil is coming against you with thoughts. He's coming against you with imaginations. He's coming against you with ideas. And he's coming against you by placing thoughts and imaginations and ideas in the people that you're trying to minister to. The devil can manipulate people's thoughts. Let's look at this story In the Old Testament, we'll see a little bit more of this here. Go to the book of Ezra. That's right, Ezra. Right before Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 1, God moves. The children of Israel had been in Babylon. Some of them, as much as 70 years, they had been taken from their homeland, forcibly exiled, Their their temple had been destroyed. The walls had been broken down. And after 70 years, God put it in the heart of Cyrus the king. And it says here in chapter 1, verse 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, and hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah who is there among you of all his people his God be with him and let him go up which is where 2nd Chronicles ends and then it carries on with the rest of the edict there in the rest of verse 3 and 4 let him go up to Jerusalem which is in Judah and build the house of the Lord God of Israel he is the God which is in Jerusalem and whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So here we have God moving. The people had been in bondage. They'd been in basically slavery, indentured servanthood, some of them as nothing more than slaves, <clears throat> and here God began to move and how did God move God moved by stirring up the spirit of a man This is important. Most stuff happens because the spirit of someone has been stirred. Most of the time, anything that does happen happens because the spirit of a man has been stirred. But who stirs the spirit um, is very important. If it's the devil who stirs the spirit, then he will do something that works against the gospel. If it's God who stirs the spirit, then it is something that will work for the gospel and for the good of man, and for the repentance. So in Ezra chapter 2, the people began to move. There in verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah, and Benjamin, and the priests, and the Levites, with all them, whose spirit, lowercase s, God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So God had a job, and God moved the king, and then God stirred up his people, and God's people moved. So here is God making him move. a movement start to happen. And then God's people began to build there in chapter 3. In chapter 2, it says they dwelt in the cities, and in chapter 3, when the seventh month was come, the children of Israel were in their cities, and the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of of those countries and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord even burnt offerings morning and evening they kept also the feast of tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom as the duty of every day required so here they began to worship God in the temple they gave money to the masons um, there. They did their burnt offerings. They gave money to the masons who would do the brickwork, the carpenters. They gave uh, meat and drink and oil to them of Zidon and to them of Tyre to bring cedar trees from Lebanon, according to the grant they had of Cyrus, king of Persia. And it says there in verse 8, now in the second year of their coming into the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua the son of Jazadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem. Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. So here they are doing the house of the Lord and the work of it, offering the sacrifices and building the temple. Verse 10 says that the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord and then they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and they had a dedication service there um, of the new temple that was being built. Now these people had been living in Babylon. They had come to a, a position after seven years of relative ease they had settled into their places they had found whatever kind of favor they were gonna found and they had built houses and and what if they could they bought some land and they were just living the best they could live in their captivity and they were relatives many of them were content in their captivity and never left but these jews left the other Jews back home were sitting there still going to their job every day, still doing all the basic things that they had been doing before, and they didn't have any real problems to speak of that would come up at this time. But here in chapter 4 it says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel unto the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God. As ye do, we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esar-Haddon, king of Asser, which brought us up hither. Now you can go to Second Kings seventeen and read that story for yourself. By the way, that is the history of the Samaritans and these men that came to talk to Zerubbabel here and to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, which it doesn't actually say they spoke to him oh I'm sorry yes it does there or Joshua is the one that stood up with Zerubbabel to answer these guys are the Samaritans whenever Jesus stopped at the Samaritan um, well there and talked to the Samaritan woman this is these are her people that have come the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin and their history is outlined in the Bible I recently read a history book that um, said in it that we don't really know where the Samaritans came from hogwash the Bible tells us exactly where they came from Second, 2nd Kings 17 read it study it believe it god's word is always true most of the time people that don't really know things are people that have been studying too many books and not enough bible but that being the case, we'll move on here. The adversaries rose up, and first of all, they tried to join forces with the work. So the first thing the devil did was try and dilute God's people with the devil's people. He tried to blend the worship of God with the worship of devils. That's the devil's one of the devil's favorite things to do, because you cannot worship God and devils at the same time. The Bible says in Corinthians, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils so if you can you can worship the devil and think you're worshiping god at the same time but if you're worshiping god you cannot worship the devil there's a lot of things in the bible that only work one way You know, most people want to say, well, if you can worship God and you can worship the devil, then you ought to be able to worship both. It just doesn't work that way. If you're going to worship God, you've got to worship God, but the devil doesn't mind if you worship God and worship him too, because he knows that your worship of God is no longer pleasing to God and is not accepted by God. Does that make sense? Look at me. Get this right now. This is important to get two plus two equals four, right? So that means if you switch it around and do the second two first and the first two last, two plus two still equals four, right? Yes. Okay, but that doesn't always work that way in doctrine. Do you hear me? It doesn't always work that way in the Bible. Just because you cannot worship God and the devil and worship God doesn't mean that you can't worship God and the devil and worship Satan. Does that make sense? Worship of God and the devil equals worship of Satan every time. And there's no other way that it can pan out. But the way that we think, uh, we think you should be able to have one um, or the other and that God would sort it out, but it's just not the case. The Bible says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devil. So here the adversaries came and tried to blend and join forces and they claimed we do worship your God. But if you study that out in 2nd Kings 17 it tells you plainly that they did not truly worship God they worshipped God after the manner of Jeroboam making priests to the lowest of the people and at the same time worshipping the false gods that they had brought with them whenever they were um, transplanted into the land then these people apparently intermarried a bunch of Jewish type people and claimed direct hereditary right but a lot of them probably weren't even related to Israelites Here's the funny thing. People that pretend to worship God, but they're really worshiping the devil, they always end up trying to claim um, Jewish roots. And it's just a strange reality that happens. Hebrew Israelites, Hebrew roots movement, um, all this kind of stuff. Um, The Catholic Church, in some of their ways, infers and thinks that they are spiritual Israel. And on and on and on we could go. Now... (coughs) these enemies try to get involved, and then whenever they're told no, they get mad. Look at verse three. Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus the king of Persia hath commanded us. Verse four, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. Let me ask you something right now. These people said, let us build too because we worship your God. God and Zerubbabel and Yeshua said no you cannot you have no part with us in this matter and then those people weakened their hands were they ever really wanting to worship God or did they have ulterior motives ulterior motives and that's evidenced by the fact that when they were told no they got mad if they had really been worshiping God would they have been mad If they had really loved God and wanted to see God's temple built, would they have thrown a hissy fit and caused trouble? No, they were liars and they were lying the whole time and Joshua and Zerubbabel called them on it and when they called them on it, they got mad, threw a hissy fit and caused trouble, weakened the hands of the people. So here they are having trouble that they would not have had back home. Do you get that today? Where did this trouble come from? Do you think these guys were sitting around, and they, they're sitting around there in their kingdoms, and you'll learn their names, more of their names in the book of Nehemiah, but do you think these guys like old Gashmu and Nehemiah, you think they're just sitting around just thinking, you know, I just want to stir up trouble today because I've got nothing better to do. Do you think that's what they were doing? Do you think maybe they're like, we're just bored. Let's see if we can find some trouble to do. If they had everything they needed, why on earth would they be coming and making trouble? Now you can try and look at all the other reasons, and you can try and think up some kind of historical or archaeological reason, but I'm going to tell you the reason, and the reason is right out of our text in 2 Thessalonians. Satan was hindering the work of God. Now we know from Ezra chapter 1 that Cyrus did not get the idea to build the temple himself. Who gave it to him? god and how did god get cyrus to do it what did it say he stirred up cyrus's lowercase s spirit he worked in the very innermost part of cyrus in that deep spiritual part of the man and he did birthed an idea in there cyrus couldn't get over And Cyrus had to move. Because what happens in the spirit has to come out through the soul eventually. Deep down in the spirit is who you really are. Deep down in the spirit, you are either dead in trespasses and sins, or you are resurrected in newness of life. But God moved in on a man who was a sinner, but who the light of the truth of the reality of God had shown to. And you can read that story in Daniel in the lion's den because that's the same time frame, and that's what was going on. Daniel here um, showing Cyrus through Darius, and uh, maybe even showing Cyrus directly the word of God. Cyrus got it stuck in his spirit that he needed to do this, and so he moved. But at the same time, the devil was hard at work. Sit down the devil was hard at work and he was hard at work stirring up the spirits of men to move against God's work this is how the devil works And you've got to recognize this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And these guys got a burr in their saddle that they needed to go help build. Where did they get that idea? Satan the devil. And then they came to build and these guys said no. And who was poking them the whole time and making them mad, helping them be mad and saying things in the ear of their spirit, trying to make them more mad at these people. Who was was behind the scenes here? Satan, the devil. The devil was resisting. Now the devil did not resist them, pay close attention, by getting a big spear and trying to poke them to death with it. He couldn't do that. But he could make some other people with big spears mad, couldn't he? Huh? (laughs) this is where spirituality meets reality, meets the daily reality that you live in. God can stir up hearts and the devil can stir up hearts. God is greater than the devil, but the devil does have the ability to stir up hearts. And here these people are weakening the hands of the people. So in chapter four, the in God's enemies, his adversaries mobilize. So it in chapter 5 well before we get to chapter 5 we're going to look at this real quick it says that Ream the Chancellor verse 8 and Shemsheah the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes the king in this sort and they sent him this letter and shut down the work Look there at chapter 4 verse 23. Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter which he replied um, to these was read before Rehim and Shemshah the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Have you ever noticed how the most wicked, lazy backwards reprobate people on the face of the planet who don't even have enough gumption to get out of bed and go to work and Feed themselves will suddenly get animated and get full of zeal and motivation and get up long before dawn and jump in a bus with a bunch of other people and a bunch of signs to go break windows and turn over cars and burn tires and cause riots and loot. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that some of the most lazy, backwards, useless people, as far as society is concerned, who do not and will not contribute to society? They have no ambition. They won't even edu- they won't even try to educate themselves. All they want is another hit, another doobie, another another joint. All they want is another shot glass full of whiskey. All they want is to get their belly full enough to party another day. When the devil's in the work, all of a sudden those people will be the most animated activists you can possibly find. And they'll cross nations and they'll rally and they'll stand in the cold and they'll stand in the heat and they'll yell and they'll scream scream themselves hoarse for some kind of satanic cause why because satan stirred their hearts Because Satan stirred up their hearts. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. The sodomite movement in this nation is bending over backwards, working their fingers to the bone to commit wickedness and iniquity. Things that are, as the Bible says, not even convenient. Things that don't make sense. Things that are hard things that are difficult. They will move across the nation to try and defile a city where their doctrine is not taught. All they desire is to commit sin and iniquity and it drives them every day. They get up in the morning with a passion and a desire to defile and corrupt and to force their agenda down other people's throats. They're not content to even have their way. They're not content to be left alone to pursue their own wickedness. They have to go and defile other people. And that is the course of sin. And that is because the devil is behind sin. We've got to recognize the enemy. Paul said, I would have come unto you once and again, but Satan hindered us. We'll look at that in more detail when we get done with this story from Ezra so here the enemies of the work went up it says they went up in haste to Jerusalem they didn't take their time they didn't take time to be comfortable they rushed as fast as they could go they couldn't spare one minute honey not one minute they had to get there now and shut down the work of God why it doesn't even make sense The reason was that Satan was stirring them. Satan was behind the scene. Now, if God's people here had gotten the perspective that those people were their enemy, there might have been a war, and who knows how it would have turned out whenever the dust all settled, and um, whenever King Artaxerxes got got the memo, he was already listening to these guys. And they were already saying the Jews wanted to rebel. So it's likely if they had turned to weapons at this point, they would have all been wiped out. (coughs) If they would have won the battle, they would have lost the war. There was something else that needed to happen. And that happens here in chapter 5. Look at chapter 5 of Ezra and verse 1. Then the prophets... Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo. You can read both of their prophecies. They're preserved for us by God in the Old Testament. And it says, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. And this is it right here. This is what we're trying to get to. When Satan is hindering, this is the answer. Preach get a word from God and preach. So first, God moved. Second, God's people went. And thirdly, God's people built. But fourthly, God's enemies mobilized and shut down the work. But we find that the battle did not end there. The spiritual battle was just getting rolling. And here, God's people not only... not only didn't go to battle physically, but they went to battle spiritually. It's not good enough to just lay down and let the enemy take the field. There's a battle that has to be fought, but the battle is not a physical battle that can be fought with AK-47, spears, swords, dynamite, nitroglycerin, or big rocks. It takes spiritual power, and what happened here was that God's people mobilized again through the preaching of the prophets. The prophets got a word from God and they prophesied to the people in the name of the Lord God. They prophesied unto them in the name of the God of Israel even unto them and the Bible says in verse 2, then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Jazadak and began to build the house of God which is at Jerusalem and with them were the prophets of God helping them. You can read more about this especially Haggai tells you much of what had happened and how the Jews had gone on for some time in state of disillusionment and discouragement God had made them promises God had stirred up the heart of the king God had stirred up their hearts God had given them a job to do God had given them the means to do the job God had sent them to do the job. They showed up to do the job. God had helped them start the job. But the adversaries had come and stopped them from doing the job. And they were held up. They were up against a wall. But God's prophets prophesied in the name of the God of Israel. And God's people rose again through the power of prophecy, the weapon of prophecy. Prophecy in the New Testament particularly. And actually all throughout the Bible, the word prophecy means proclaiming the word of God it doesn't necessarily mean that it has anything to do with a new revelation that is given to us by the context whether or not the prophets gave us a new revelation but the word prophecy means to preach to proclaim the word of God and here the church of the old testament mobilized with a weapon of warfare of prophecy of preaching the word of God now we have the anointed word of God that we can preach and when the devil is hindering and the devil is attacking and the devil is pushing and the devil is stopping and the devil is stirring up the enemies and the devil is throwing up roadblocks blocks and the devil is making things miserable and causing things to be difficult that should be easy and is throwing up blockades against you you have the weapons of our warfare you have the armor that we're told to put on you have the sword of the spirit you have the shield of faith and you have all prayer that you're supposed to get into but there's another weapon that needs to be mobilized in this day and in this hour and that weapon is spirit-filled god-anointed preaching When the preaching of the word of God goes forward, the devil goes backwards. It may seem, and this by the way is one of the reasons God calls it the foolishness of preaching. It may seem sometimes like you're slogging through the mud trying to preach and like nobody's really listening and like it's never going to get out and you don't know exactly what's going to come of it or why it even does any good. The burden to preach might come on you and everybody tell you to get lost and you might be out in the woods preaching all by yourself to nothing but the squirrels and the acorns or the monkeys if you're in the in the jungle and you're out there by yourself preaching but I'm telling you if you're minding God if you'll get a word from God and preach the word of God the devils hear it and the devils are backing down and the devils are getting pushed away by the preached word of God there is power in the preaching of the word of God it is a weapon of our warfare the devil will come and discourage and cast doubts and throw roadblocks and make you think that the last thing that you need to do is preach he'll tell you you're not good enough he'll tell you you're a mess he'll tempt you he'll throw up blockades he'll attack you physically he'll put things in the way he'll make obstacles come up before you to keep you from preaching the word of God when Jesus Christ said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and if we'll obey God and get our armor on. Take that shield of faith. Take that helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Gird your loins about with truth. Put on those feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take the sword of the Spirit. Pray yourself up and then go out and launch an all-out attack on the devil and preach the word of God. Haggai and Zerubbabel preached Haggai and Zechariah preached the word of God they prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel even unto them and the Bible says something incredible happened here then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel nothing had changed the circumstances hadn't changed they hadn't gotten new permission they just had their old permission, they were misrepresented. They were outgunned in Congress, so to speak. They were outgunned in their capital. They didn't have the means to politically fight back, but they had the preached Word of God, and they began to move forward and obey the Word of God as it was preached by Zechariah and by Haggai. Hallelujah! (coughs) And it says, as they began to build, it says, Um, they began to build the house of God which is at Jerusalem and with them were the prophets of God helping them. Hallelujah. How did the prophets of God help them? Oh, they might have thrown some bricks on the wall. They probably did every now and then on that wall of the temple. But I'll tell you how they helped them. They laid back, they reared back, and they let her rip. And they preached their guts out, and they preached their hearts out. And they proclaimed the name of Jehovah God. And they preached the word of God to the people in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And the people moved forward. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor, on this side of the river, and Shethar Bosniai and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Then said we unto them after this manner, What are the names of the men that make this building? But the eye of their God was upon them, upon the <coughs> upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease. God did not let the adversaries stop them even though they wanted to, even though they were still stirred up, even though they were trying to. The only thing that changed was God's preachers preached and God's people, obeyed the preached word of God, and because of that, God's work prospered in the face of total political obso- um, obstacles. Do you hear me today? The preaching of the word of God is one of the greatest weapons that we have at our disposal. The preaching of the word of God is like a big Bertha in World War II. A great big cannon that can shoot an artillery shell dozens of miles. The preaching of the Word of God does a spiritual attack against the devil and against his army even when people won't listen. Do you hear me today? Does it matter that you hear me? Yeah, it does for you. But even if you won't listen, I'm going to preach it. And if nobody ever listens to this, if nobody ever listens, the devil is back on his heels because the Word of God is being preached Hallelujah. (coughs) Now this only works if you put on the armor of God and go into this with prayer. And thereby, if you get that armor of God and you're in prayer, you will obey the other aspects they're given in Ephesians, including being filled with the Spirit. Satan will be bound and God's work will go forward. 5.5 five says, The eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease. Chapter 6 and verse 14 says, and the elders of the Jews built it, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, and they built it and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So those guys got to tack in on the end. God was making sure that everybody knew this wasn't Cyrus's temple. Do you hear me? It never got called Cyrus's temple, as far as we know in history. Everybody knew that this was God's temple, that God had sent the workers, that God had stirred Cyrus's heart, that God had stirred the people's heart, and everybody knew that God had sent his prophets to prophesy, and without his prophets prophesying in the name of the Lord and in the word of the Lord, the work would not have been done, and God was able to get the glory. What about all those Jews back in Babylon? And in that whole region, a lot of them just sat there. They kept doing their jobs, going to their daily work, and none of them really got bothered by Satan. A lot of them had more security than they'd ever had. They had more wealth. They had more riches. They had better houses. They'd had time to get accustomed, learn the languages, learn the customs. Jews were um, have always been expert traders. Expert, um, that's T-R-A-D-E-R-S, traders, trading in goods. They've always been expert handlers of money. and they And at that season, it was no exception. And many of them got fabulously wealthy in the Persian Empire. And they're sitting back there eating their delicacies, clothed in purple and fine linen. And these people, God's people, are up here having a total war just trying to get a temple built. Just trying to get a temple built. Listen to me. You get involved in God's work. The devil is going to come after you. He's going to hinder you. Go to the book of Acts um, chapter 17. Let's look at this real quick as we wrap this thing up. And remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The devil stirs up people's hearts against the gospel, but God stirs people's hearts to receive the gospel. Acts 17 now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul as his manner was went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ and some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few but the Jews which believed not moved with envy took unto them Certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, (coughs) and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. This would not have worked if Satan wasn't behind the scenes, stirring up the trouble. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. "...whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews." These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women with the, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came to there also and stirred up the people. Now, Paul was doubtless praying. He said, I would have come unto you once and again, but Satan hindered us. And doubtless while he was at Berea, he was considering his option for how he was going to get back to Thessalonica and preach there again. And as he prayed, you can imagine the Apostle Paul praying and um, seeking God with all his heart for the privilege to go back to Thessalonica, praying for God to give him an open door. And what happened instead? What happened? Instead of an open door, what happened? (coughs) What happened? the Jews of Thessalonica came to Berea and stirred up the people at Berea as well instead of getting closer to his goal and getting to do what he believed God had given him to do he was thrust further than ever from Thessalonica and the Bible says that. and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea but Silas and Timotheus abode there still and they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed they departed I want you to notice a couple things as we close here first of all Paul began in Thessalonica if you were looking at a map of Macedonia it would be up here would be modern day Turkey and then across this little strait here uh, would be this upper area of Macedonia and on around the side down towards Greece would be Thessalonica Athens is all the way down in the middle of Greece Paul's home was this way, back across modern Turkey. Paul's good churches that loved him and that listened to him were back here. When Paul ran from the mobs that were chasing him, which way did he go? Did he go towards home? No. He went further into the devil's territory. He fled, quote unquote, right into the face of a bigger battle on purpose. Do you see that? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Flannel graphs might be useful in your Sunday school classroom But they are not one of the weapons of our warfare Those are carnal Anything that you can do To illustrate the Bible Make a Bible movie Like there's several Jesus films that are in wide circulation You can do all that that you want to do And those are carnal weapons Did you hear me today? I didn't say you're stupid I didn't say you're wasting your time I'm just telling you the raw truth from the Bible Those are carnal weapons They're carnal weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. One of the weapons of our warfare that we've been looking at today is the preaching of the word of God. The Bible says God has ordained the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. Paul, whenever he was ran out, he ran on further into the enemy's territory. Expect Satan Satan to hinder you. Satan was hindering Paul. Don't you think today think about this. Don't you think Paul was praying that Satan wouldn't be able to hinder him? How many of you think that? If if God if Paul knew that Satan was hindering him, don't you think he was praying that Satan wouldn't be able to hinder him? Come on. Think about it. What do you think? Yeah. But was Satan able to hinder him? Yes. So just because you pray that Satan won't be able to hinder you doesn't mean he won't be able to hinder you. You might still get hindered. But it's okay. Do you hear me today? It's okay. You keep fighting. Keep using the weapons. Keep your armor on. Stay in the battle. Don't give up. Don't slow down. Carry on for Jesus Christ. Advance against the enemy. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, I've preached this in weakness and foolishness. I've preached this, Lord God, with what little bit I have to offer, which is nothing without you. And I ask you to use it, Father, right now. Back down Satan's kingdom. Drive him back, Lord. Let your word go forth in power. And use your word, Father. Use these messages that we've been putting up online. And, Father, I pray that you would use the tent ministry, Father, as the tent's about to be pitched again, Father, and the gospel preached I pray Lord God that you would bind Satan that you would loose his prisoners Father those who are held captive by him at his will. Father he's blinded their eyes. You said if our gospel be hid it is hid because the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not and we ask you to open the eyes of the blind Lord. Lord you did it physically Lord in your ministry on earth but Lord even more importantly we need it done spiritually right now Father open the eyes of the blind. Loose the captives Father. Let thy word prevail let thy will be done lord we advance father on your promises and on the basis father of your orders your commandments your word father and in the name of jesus christ we go forth father and we go forward and we trust you lord god that even when satan hinders it'll be all right and we don't need to be discouraged help us to fight manfully onward father in jesus holy name and for christ's sake Help us to be men and women of faith, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.